example as well. Okay, take your Bible if you would. I want to preach this morning from Matthew 25. I feel like the Lord put this on my heart to share with you. I'm going to pray in just a minute. But Matthew 25 and verse number 6. I want to just read one verse right now. But we'll be looking at verses 1 through 13 in just a little bit. But Matthew 25 and verse number 6 says, And at midnight a cry was heard, Behold, the bridegroom cometh. Go out and meet him. I want to talk to you today about the bridegroom that's coming. Jesus is definitely coming back. And I preach, maybe carry this theme throughout the month of September, but today I want to talk about the bridegroom cometh. Dear Father, Lord, thank you for this passage. And thank you for this idea, this concept, that Jesus, who, who came to earth, left heaven and came to earth, did what he had to do, then uh, died and resurrected and ascended back to the Father again with a promise to come back again a second time. Thank you, Lord, that we have this awareness. I pray your blessing over the message, Lord. Let it prick our hearts and, and challenge us to go deeper. And so, Holy Spirit, come. Speak to us, Lord, through your word today. Anoint my lips, my mind, and my heart, Lord that I may be right in step with what you want to say and do uh, during this service this morning. We thank you for it and look forward to what you're going to do. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. So there are many, many good and godly people uh, these days talking about uh, the times in which we live, like Stacy was sharing earlier. Uh, and they're sharing from a biblical or from a spiritual point of view. I, I always tend to go back during this season since May, or since March, actually. Uh, I, I go back to Second Chronicles 7.14, where the Lord is speaking, and he says, If my people, Israel at the time, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray, and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then I'll hear from heaven, and forgive their sin, and, and heal their land. And, and the, the premise is, God was going to bring calamity upon the land. God was going to do that. Not Satan. God was going to do that. But if my people who are called by my name will humble and pray, etc., uh, he'll, he'll forgive their sin and heal their land. A lot of people don't read the rest of the chapter. Because 2 Chronicles 7, verse 20, I believe it is, 19 and 20, 21, talk about how if they don't do those things, how the wrath of God and destruction will come upon the land. So I feel like uh, we're, we're, we're in this season of what I call a holy pause. I've used that term before. We're kind of, everything is kind of like a pause right now. We're, we're like everything's different than it was, say, in the early part of the year. But this holy pause is leading us to holy action. Thus, for instance, last week I shared a message called the pioneer spirit. And with the pioneer spirit, we've been crucified with Christ. We're called by God to do things maybe for the first time that we've ever done anything. Do it for the first time. Maybe we're called to be creative in how we're doing what we're doing. And maybe we're called to do something spiritual at this time. We talked about, you know, making it a daily effort to pray every single day to spend some quality time with God. And so this, this holy pause, I probably don't need to tell you, but I want to just say this. This holy pause is being caused by three basic things that we're dealing with right now. One is the pandemic, the COVID-19. 
It's affecting the world. It's affecting the U.S. It's affecting our community. It's affecting our church. It's affecting work. It's affecting our economy. It's affecting family dynamics when, when families are trying to figure out what to do with school and di- different school arrangements with some live stream and some going and, and uh, Zoom meetings or whatever, uh, different, different means, different ways to have child care for their children. Um, colleges are functioning differently right now. I'm sure North Point is at, 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 as well. Uh, our church is functioning different right now. We have, can have 50% of capacity in-house. And uh, we're doing a lot of Zooms and li- uh, live streams and so forth. So this pandemic has caused something to happen. On top of that is all the social unrest that we have. Stacy alluded to it earlier. But, but our, sti- our cities, some of our cities are still burning. You know, this is going on for months now. There's ashes in our cities. There's, there's burning. There's hatred. In our, there's people roaming the streets with guns, killing each other in America, in our streets. And so this holy pause has given us time to think about what in the world is going on. Racial issues are resurfacing that we thought were taken care of in the 50s and 60s. They're back. And how we deal with crime, how we deal with, with lawlessness uh, are, are being questioned and challenged and on top of that, I don't need to tell you, but on top of those two things, the political climate we're living in, and if you don't have your head in the sand, you know the political, the political climate in America is filled with hate and venom. People hate each other and twist everybody's words. You don't know, you don't know even what the truth is anymore. You don't know. And, and there's a lot of hatred in between September and October. November's the election, but these two months guaranteed are going to be very difficult months for America. Politically speaking. But let me reiterate that our help comes from God. Our deliverer is Jesus Christ. Our Savior is Jesus, not our president. So whatever happens, we have, a, we have another person who is our authority. But um, in all of this, in the midst of all of this going on, many good Christian people are having dreams right now. Did you know that? Many are having visions and dreams. And the Lord is speaking to many prominent people. And um, you hear a lot of things. I think we can all say, we can all agree that whatever's going on is leading to something. I don't think these things are happening just because, and one day it's all going to go away, and we're going to go back to normal. I don't think that's ever going to really happen. How could we be normal after all of this? Some people really believe and have had visions, actually, that all this is a prelude to the rapture of the church. If that's the case, I'm ready to go. I don't know about you. I hope I'm raptured tomorrow. It doesn't matter. But some people really believe all the calamity, all the stuff, is an indication that God is moving and getting ready to do something radical. Some people think that laws will change, that will prevent uh, some of the freedoms that we have, like freedom of religion. Some think that the, the social needs of our country, which are very diverse right now and coming to the forefront, will change our moral code. Basically, we, our country, has been based upon the Mosaic law, the law of Moses, basically right and wrong. But because of the social needs represented in our country and other parts of the world too, people are thinking that our moral code will have to adjust to the social needs that are represented. And many people wonder if our freedom of speech will be affected, if we can preach from the pulpit that Jesus Christ is the only way. And, and, and sin is this, and, and holiness is this. And some people are wondering, will all that change? Well, I've come to the place where I don't know what's going to happen, but I, along with 
Many pastors and many spiritual leaders in our country are saying this. We've got to get ready. We've got to get ready. We've got to get our house in order. We've got to, we, we see changes in the air. And we've got to get our, 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 our lives, our homes, our lifestyle, our faith in order. There may be a change in social structure or the financial structure even. We hear all these things about how banks are being uh, threatened and, and there's going to be changes in how we do our banking, medical care, but, and, and how we worship and when we worship and where we worship. But if we're raptured, I don't even care anymore. I'm out of here. I'm ready to go. But one thing is certain, and, and in light of all of that, is that the bridegroom is coming. The bridegroom cometh. Matthew 25, 6. I want to talk just a minute about, about this concept of, of the bridegroom coming and how it affects the church of Jesus Christ. See, the church of Jesus Christ is referred to in the Bible as the bride of Christ. And I don't know if you've been to a wedding and you see a beautiful bride come walking down the aisle, meeting her husband-to-be at the altar. It's a beautiful picture. But it's like Jesus and the bride of Christ coming together to be united as one. But there's several scriptures that talk about the bride of Christ. I want to, you don't have to turn to them. I'm just going to mention them to you. But in Ephesians 5, we see this passage where Paul is teaching for how, how husbands could be great husbands. Husbands, love your wives the way that Christ loved the church, with a sacrificial love, giving yourself for your wife. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting. As Christians, submit and love one another. But in verse 32, he says something really interesting and really important. I, I share it at practically every wedding I perform. That as beautiful and wonderful as an as a, as a earthly marriage is between a man and a woman, Paul says, what I'm saying is a mystery. I'm really speaking about Christ and the church. So if you have a Christian marriage, and I hope that you do, but your marriage is a reflection of God, Jesus as the husband and the body of Christ as the bride living and working together as one. I always share that with couples when I marry them, that your marriage is a reflection of a greater spiritual truth. It's the, it's the bridegroom and the bride. We see in 2 Corinthians 11, verse number 2, Paul says something, just a little verse. He says to the church in Corinth, I betroth you to one husband to present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. The language is, you know, the language is, is bridal. It's like husband and wife. I, I, I betroth you to one husband, you believers, as you are a chaste virgin for your husband. And then we read in Revelation 19 and, and 21, we read that the marriage supper of the Lamb has come, for the bride has made herself ready. That's the church, has made herself ready. And John, Revelation 21, John says, I, I saw a new uh, Jerusalem coming down from heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And we see in, later in Revelation 21, an angel describing the new Jerusalem. I will show you the bride, the lamb's wife. So the bridegroom is coming, Matthew 25, 6. And he's coming for a bride that is holy and pure and ready and in love with him, waiting for his return. So we, we look at Matthew 24 and 25. Uh, these two chapters in particular are, are Jesus' uh, most profound teachings on the second coming, the end times, the last days, and so forth. For instance, he talks about the days of Noah. He says that the, as the days of Noah were, so also will be the coming of the Son of Man be. 
So as those days were, they will be like that when he comes back. And you know what? We're kind of similar right now in the way things were back then. When you think about it, no one had a heart for God back then, really. And they were laughing and mocking at Noah, who, was in, who fulfilled the role of a prophet, in a sense, saying that God's going to do something here, and we're going to build a boat on a mountain when there was no rain and no water in sight. Everyone mocked him and laughed at him. But as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be now. So people will mock us when we say Jesus is coming. They will mock and make fun of us. But it, that's all, all prophesied by Jesus himself. We see uh, in Matthew 24 the illustration or the parable of the two servants where one servant was being honored by his master for doing a great job. The other servant, when the master came back, was being ridiculed and cast out and actually murdered for his lack of attention to what the master wanted him to do. Symbolic of Jesus coming and leaving and coming back again and seeing what was left behind. The parable of the talents in Matthew 25 where uh, uh, the man, the master, went away giving his servants some money. He went away to a far country. When he came back, he wanted to see what they did with what he gave them. And to those that invested and did good, he blessed them and gave them more. But the one that did nothing, he severely rebuked and cast them out. And then we come into the, the parable of the, of the ten virgins. And I want to talk about the, the parable of the ten virgins today. Matthew 25, verses 1 through 13. So let's read it. Then we're going to break it down and bring some application out of it. But verse number one. The kingdom of heaven, Jesus says, shall be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Well, we have to understand the context of what he's talking about. Matthew, as you know, wrote primarily to Jewish people. So there's a lot of things in Matthew that have to do with Jewish culture, Jewish tradition, etc., but when I think of a wedding, I think like a, maybe a Sunday afternoon or a Saturday afternoon. I think of like an hour-long service, and they come in, and they go, and that's it. We have a ceremony, and that's it. That is not a Jewish wedding. A Jewish wedding basically was probably about seven days long, the whole, the whole thing. And what they would do, let's say they would start on a Monday, and the actual ceremony was going to be on a Saturday. So on Monday, all the families got together. They... The, uh, the, the, the bridegroom's family and the bride's family got together, the family, friends, relatives. They would eat together, party together, celebrate together, and just get to know each other and have a good time. Then they would, they would all go home at the end of the day, the day and go home and come back the next day and do it again. Well, as the week progressed, at one point, the bridegroom would stay home and not come back. And the word was, when he comes back, we're going to have the ceremony. So it was at the latter part of the week, but no one knew exactly when he was going to come back. And he could only come back when his father told him he could come back. So you can see the power of, of family influence in this setting. So the bride had to be ready, the, the bridesmaid had to be ready, the families had to be ready, the best men, everyone had to be ready for this wedding, but no one knew exactly when it was going to happen. But they had an idea, it would have to be, let's say they, they had those gatherings Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, well, they had to get it done by Saturday or Sunday. So let's say he went home on Wednesday and he, wasn't, he didn't tell anyone when he's coming back. And they're waiting on Thursday and he doesn't show up. And on Friday he doesn't show up. Saturday and on Sunday morning at the crack of the dawn, here comes the, bride, here comes the bridegroom. Well, this is the setting of, of where we are right here. So Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is like, likened to ten virgins who took their ten virgins, you could say, are the bridal party. They took their lamps to go out to meet the bridegroom. 
Well, they didn't know when he was coming, but they wanted to go out and get ready for him to come whenever he was going to come. They had an idea, a couple of days. Five of them were wise, and five of them were foolish, it says. Verse 3, those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. But while the bridegroom was delayed, he was waiting for the father's word to go, they all went to sleep. They, they were tired. They went to sleep. At midnight, a cry was heard. Behold, the bridegroom cometh. Go out and meet him. And all those virgins rose up, trimmed their lamps. They got their wicks going, tried to light the fire and get their lamps going. And the foolish ones, in verse number, verse number 8, the foolish ones said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. We have a problem with this right here. Number one, they weren't ready. Number two, they thought someone was going to bail them out. Isn't that a sign of the times in a way? A lot of people aren't ready for anything, but they want someone to bail them out of whatever predicament they're in when they haven't done anything to get out of the predicament that they caused themselves. But that's another story. So the foolish says to the wise, give us some oil, our lamps are going out. The wise ones answered in verse number 9, no, 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 lest there should not be enough for us and you, you go and find those that sell and buy this thing and you go get your own. Well, while they went out to buy their own, the bridegroom came. And those who were ready with the oil went out with him and went with him to the wedding and the door was shut. Afterwards, the other virgins, the five foolish virgins came, and they said, Lord, Lord, open the door for us. Lord, Lord is meant like master, master, not Jesus, but Lord, uh, open the door for us, bridegroom. And he answered and said, assuredly, I say to you, I don't even know you. And Jesus summarizes and says, Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. So let's break this down and, and get into it, okay? You with me? Okay, Jesus is the bridegroom. We, we got that. He's the bridegroom. We're the bride. The, the, the bride. The virgins and the bride represent... The virgins represent the bride. The bridal party represent the bride. And we know from Acts chapter 1 that uh, when Jesus died, he was buried, he resurrected. Before he ascended, remember in Acts chapter 1, the apostle said, Lord, are you going to restore Israel now? Is this a, your time to do something? And he said, it's not for you to know the time. I'm going back to my Father. But you shall receive power when the Holy Ghost comes upon you to be my witnesses. And then he's ascended into heaven. And the angel says, why are you all looking at him like that and, and wondering, don't you know the same way he's going up, he's going to come back down again? So there will be a second coming. So Jesus, is, Jesus left us. He's waiting for a word from the Father, because only the Father knows when he can come back to come back. So then we, we see the bride and the bridal party. They clearly represent the church. Obviously, they represent the church. But there's a problem with this representation of the church. But it's a very spiritual observation here. And it's from God's heart. Because in the church... There are those that are ready and those that are not ready in the church. There are those that have their lamp filled with oil, burning brightly with hope and love and determination. And there's others that are rubbing shoulders with them. And you would never know the difference because they all look the same. 
But their lamps are empty. The oil is empty. They have no hope, no life, no, no, no relationship. And so we have this dilemma going on. So, so on one side, the, the church represents you know, those with the, the oil in their lamp, and the other represents those with a, a lamp with no oil. So you have within the church setting, what this is saying is, you have within the church setting those who believe and those who don't believe. Those who are wise and those who are foolish. Those, those that are like wheat, good, and those that are tares, like weeds, mixed together. Jesus said in another place, let them grow up together. Remember the apostles wanted to cut down the tares. He said, no, no, let them all grow up together. We'll separate them later at the end. So there are saved people and those that are not really saved. There are those that are crucified with Christ. And there are others that just like to be around the cross. They like the preaching, like Pilate or King Herod. Love to hear John the Baptist preach. But we don't don't have any any indication that he gave his heart to God. Some like church. Some like worship. Some like prayer. Some like the feeling. Some like the Christian fellowship. But they, they never have surrendered their life to God. They're not yielded to God. And right now we see verse number Verse number five, the bridegroom was delayed. Right now we see that Jesus is delayed. But you know what? In my spirit, there's something going on, I, I think, I believe, in the heart of God right now. There's two things going on. One thing is, we want one more to get saved before Jesus comes back. One more. Lord, you know, don't, don't go, Jesus, hold up. One more is going to get saved. One more revival. One more move of the Holy Spirit when masses of people will come to repentance. One more great move of God. Right? On the other hand, we see from the scripture that in the last days, even the elect of God, even those that have served God, will become dismayed and lose faith because of the troubles, because of the, the stresses, because of the, the stuff that's going on. It's like everyone's just going crazy. And we see it today, people losing their faith. We've seen it a few months ago with people from, say, Hillsongs or different major uh, Christian um, organizations. They, they change their, they no longer believe. I'm, I'm talking about international people with worldwide ministries. I no longer believe. So there's a, there's a, a problem here. One more, one more, but, but yet in the meantime, some are leaving. So God, I, I think I have God's heart. God is like weighing it out. Like, what's going to happen? I'm so glad we don't have to make that decision. But when the time is right, Jesus will come back. And only the Father knows when that call will be made. In verse number 5, the bridegroom was delayed. Waiting to hear from his father, he can go to the wedding and get his bride. In real life, in real spiritual life, that is exactly where we're at. In Matthew 24, 36, look over there real quick. Of that day and hour, no one knows when the Son of Man comes. Not even the angels of heaven, but my Father. He's the only one that knows. In Matthew 25, 13, we read it before. No one knows. But can I tell you something? Just like when the, in the Jewish wedding, no one knew when the, the bridegroom was going to come back, but they had a general idea. It wasn't going to go on for a month or a year. He was going to come back within that time that they set up that it would be the wedding. And Jesus said in another place, look, there's going to be famines. There's going to be pestilences and war disease. There's going to be conflict. There's going to be all sorts of things. Perilous times will come. Uprisings. Disrespect. Uh, There'll be birth pains that come closer and closer. Uh, Weather issues and different things will happen. 
And certainly, you know, in our world today, there are so many of those things happening closer and closer and closer together. We don't know when he's going to come. But we would be naive to think that we're not in the season of his coming. We can't put a date. We're, you hear someone say he's going to come on October 28th, say. It can't be. It can't be right. It can't be. But someone could say, I sense in my heart, I'm discerning the times. We've got to get ready because something is going to happen. I like that. I, I, that bears witness with me. And I feel, I feel strongly that God is doing something in these days. So look, okay, verse number five, verse number six, at midnight, at midnight. Why is the bridegroom going to come at midnight? It was kind of symbolically, 1 Thessalonians 5, 2, Jesus is going to come like a thief in the night. He's going to come when nobody expects him to come. Well, I have a general idea, but not, not specifically. Verse number six, there's going to be a cry, crying out, 1 Thessalonians 4, 16. The Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God. The dead in Christ will arise and we who are alive will be caught up with the Lord forever. So comfort yourself with these words. And notice in verse number, let's see, uh, verse number seven, all the virgins arose. (laughs) Can I tell you something? When Jesus comes back, He's going to get the whole world's attention. Everyone's going to stand up and say, what? And those that are his are going to be gone in a second. And those other ones will be left behind with nothing in their lamp, wondering, what do I do now? So we see verse number eight. This is the moment of truth. The foolish one said to the wise, give us some of your oil. Can you imagine? Some non-believer or some semi-believer or some half-hearted believer comes to a solid Christian person and says, Come on, give me some of your faith. Give me some of your spirit. I can't give you my spirit. You've got to get your own spirit. You've got to get your own faith. You can't live on my faith. I got my faith. Paul says in another place, Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. You can't live on your parents' faith or your kids' faith or your spouse's faith or their pastor's faith or anybody's faith. You need, everyone needs their own faith. You can't get it from somebody else. So, verse number 10. While they went out to buy, the bridegroom came. Isn't that, can't you picture that happening? Well, I'll go get right, I'll get right now. I just got time. And the, the harsh reality hits. You don't have time. Your time is over. This is your time. There will come a day when there's no time left. You know, there's a verse of scripture in Hebrews 12. I think it's verse number 17. I don't want to turn to it, but I, I probably have to study it just a little bit more. But there's a little passage that says, Esau, though he desired to repent... He found no place for repentance because the time had left him. That's a scary thought. He wanted to repent. It was too late for him to repent. So the bridegroom comes, verses 10, uh, verse 11. They come back and and, and they say, they don't knock on the door. Let us in. We want to come into the party. We got our lamp ready now. In verse number 12, the Lord says, you know what? Or the, the, the bridegroom says, I don't even know you. Now, Jesus taught on that principle in Matthew 7. He said, you know what? He said, not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. But he that does the will of my Father in heaven. 
And there will people, there are people that will say, but Lord, we prophesied in your name. And there are people that prophesy in the name of the Lord, but that don't really know the Lord. There are people that, that uh, cast out demons in the name of the Lord, but they don't really serve the Lord. There are people that do great things for God, but they don't really know and serve the Lord. How could that be? Because God doesn't respect the person. He respects his word. I've seen, I've seen this, and maybe you've seen it too. I've seen people preach the word of God, and they were not living right. And God did great things with the messages they preached. But they weren't right. If they died, they'd probably go to hell. But the word of God was true, and yes and amen. So, in, in this setting, so they're, they're saying, Lord, Lord, you know, you know me, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. He says, no, I don't even know who you are. Leave. Reminds me in Acts 19 when, when Paul was in Ephesus. And there's a little story there. Paul's in Ephesus, and it says, uh, miraculous things were done by Paul. Great things, supernatural miracles, great miracles. And uh, people were healed from his handkerchief and his shadow and this and that. And at the same time, there were these seven sons of a guy named Sceva, the seven sons of Sceva. They were Jewish, itinerant Jewish preachers that would go around trying to share the word of God, the Old Testament, and cast out demons. And so they're trying to cast out a demon from this person, and the demon speaks to the, the, these seven sons and says, Look, I know Jesus, and I know Paul, but I don't know you. Who, do you, who are you? And they attacked him and beat him up and left him for dead and ran away. So there, there are things going on in the spiritual realm that we sometimes we get lost in that. But, but, you know, just because we do something in God's name doesn't mean we're right with him. So verse 13, the bridegroom comes. We don't know when. We've got to be ready. Our lamps have to be filled with oil. Our lives have to be filled with the Holy Spirit, with anointing and with power. Or else we're going to be left behind. You know the whole series, Left Behind series? Not a bad series of books to read. So I want to give you three things to think about as you get ready for the bridegroom. All right? So the bridegroom is coming. That's a fact. So I'm going to give you three things to think about to help you get ready for when the bridegroom comes. The first thing is this. We must be born again. We must be born again. We must come to a place where we come to the end of ourselves and recognize that our way, our thoughts, our logic, our whatever, our power is not enough for God. We have to come to a place where we allow the Holy Spirit to move upon us. Jesus said in John 3, 3 to Nicodemus, the Holy Spirit is like a wind. We don't know where it comes from or where it's going, but we know when it's there. And, and when Jesus said, you must be born again, he meant by a work of the Holy Spirit. In other words, the Holy Spirit must be allowed to come into our life, into our spirit, to convict us of sin, to bring us to a place of repentance and belief in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, and, and be willing to change our lifestyle. We must be born again. Jesus said it. And I know it's a played out term nowadays. Everyone says, oh, you must be born again. And you know, in a lot of circles, when you say that, people will ridicule you. Oh, you're one of those born again people. Yeah, I sure am. Billy Graham wrote a book, You Must Be Born Again. You know, very prominent. But in our culture, there are, there are people who will denounce and make fun of the idea that you must be born again. 
Well, call it whatever you want to call it. I've known people that were born again that didn't even know they were born again. Believe it or not. They had a relationship with God. They never heard the term before, but they had a spiritual awakening sometime before, and they were born again. But call it whatever you want, but something has to happen where, where we surrender to God's will and God's purpose for our lives. Take your Bible, will you please? Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2. Do you remember in the old days when the pastor always used to say, turn to this passage, turn to that passage, turn to this passage? We don't do that so much anymore, but I'm doing it today. So turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2. And this is a great illustration, a great little account of what it means to be born again. You he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. In other words, before this happened, you were living in sins and trespasses. You were violating God's laws in which you once walked according to the course of this world. You were like everybody else in the world. You were just going your way, doing your thing. You didn't, know, you didn't really care about what God thought or what people thought. But you're also walking according to the prince of the power of the air. The spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. That's, that's where I was at. I was walking in disobedience to God. Didn't really know that. And I really didn't know that in doing so, I was being led by demonic forces that were making me be even more disobedient. And that's where we were before we we're saved, before we we're born again. So what I'm saying is, you have to be born again. You have to realize that that lifestyle without God, your life without God is that right there. You're going along with the world, and who cares? And you're not even aware that half of what you're doing is being influenced by demonic forces. And if that's where you're at, I'm telling you, you must be born again. Pastor Rick, you're speaking to the church. I know I'm speaking to the church. I know I'm speaking to people on live stream. But in the parable we just read, the ten virgins, five of them were wise and five were foolish. They all represented the church. So within this setting, within this, you know, within this atmosphere, there are some people that are not born again. Can I get one amen? So... You once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh. Oh, my goodness. So de demons, are that's not enough. Now I have to deal, deal with the lust of my own flesh. So now I got demons to deal with and, and the lust of my flesh to deal with. That needs to be delivered and saved right there. And then it goes on in verse 3. Fulfilling the desires of, of the flesh and of the mind. The mind. I think my mind was my worst enemy back in the day. I had demons. I had flesh. I had my mind to deal with. And that all that needed to be born again. And when all that gets born again, guess what? We're a new creation in Christ. If all that doesn't get born again, we're straddling the fence. And that's a, that's a virgin who's foolish. And her lamp is half full with oil. Or not full at all with oil. But they love being around. And there's a, there's a part of that I understand. You know, I, 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 I'm fascinated by these stories in the Bible. Like Pilate, Pilate wanted to hear, wanted to meet Jesus. He wanted to hear what Jesus had to say. King Herod wanted to hear and did hear John the Baptist preach. King Festus and Agrippa, they wanted to hear what Paul had to say. There's no record that these guys ever gave their heart to the Lord. But they liked what they heard. And there's something about, you know, hearing it and liking it, but not yielding to it. 
And so the first thing, if you want to be ready when the bridegroom comes, you've got to be born again. No, no ifs, ands, or buts about it. You must be saved. You must become a new creation. Romans 10, 9 and 10, one of my favorite scriptures. We've been studying it on Wednesday night. But it says, with a, with a confess, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, whoa, you have to say it? Yeah, yeah. Why, are you ashamed to say it? Jesus Christ is my Lord. I'm not ashamed to say it. I'd be ashamed not to say it. But confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart. Believe in your heart. If someone puts a gun to your head, believe in your heart. God raised Christ from the dead. You will be saved. For with the heart, one believes to righteousness. With the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. Listen, we're not going to get saved by attending church. Been down that road. And many people all across America go to church. Does not mean that they're saved. There must be an an encounter with the Holy Ghost. There's got to be an encounter with God. Where lives are changed. The problem with this whole deal is that in many churches, this isn't even preached anymore. And some of you might be saying, "Why why are you saying that? We all know this. Well, I have to tell you anyway. Because like I said, there may be someone in your family, they think they're Christians. There may be someone you work with, they think they're a Christian because of whatever reason. And maybe God has you in their life to tell them the other side of the story. That there's a parable that talks about the ten virgins, and five of them were wise and five of them were foolish. And maybe you need to get your lamp filled with oil, that's the Holy Ghost. Maybe you need to surrender your heart to the Lord 100%. Maybe. So if we want to be ready, we've got to, we've got to surrender our will. To, and can I tell you another thing? It's not a one-time deal. It's a daily de- deal. I always say, we've been saved, we're being saved, and we will be saved. We're delivered, we're being delivered, and we will be delivered. We're redeemed, we're being redeemed, and we will be redeemed. It's an ongoing relationship, as Jesus has given us to say, our daily bread. It's a daily walk with God. I can't depend on my salvation from years ago. I need to be saved today. My goodness. The enemy is just as wild today as he was back then, even worse. And yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm more knowledgeable. I hope I'm stronger spiritually. But the scripture tells me, tells me that the, the devil is like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Come on. I got I to gotta get saved and put on my armor every single day. If I want to be ready for the bridegroom. The second one is this. Let me move on here. Because we want to go through this and we want to have communion together at the end. The second thing, if we want to be ready for the bridegroom, we've got to start bearing good fruit for the kingdom of God. Oh, you mean it's not just a simple little prayer that we say and that's it? We'd all go home and have fun? Well, you might go home and have fun, but your life has to start bearing good fruit. Otherwise, what's the point? So in Matthew 3, I love the story of Matthew 3. John the Baptist is baptizing people and and the high and mighty Pharisees come down to check them out. And John discerns their heart. And he says to them, oh, look at you coming down here. As though they want to get baptized or approve the baptism. He says to them, you show me some fruits of repentance. In other words, show me, show me something. Show me that you want to uh, give your will over to God. Show me something that you've done that demonstrates that you're a new person. Of course, they didn't do that. But take your Bible again. Turn with me to Galatians chapter 5. Come on now. 
Galatians chapter 5. We used to do this all the time in church. You see your pages. Now you hear people hitting their phones. But look, there's works of the flesh and there's works of the spirit. When we're a Christian, we, we are called upon and we're expected to bear fruit of the spirit, not the works of the flesh. So, verses 19 and 20, I just broke it down really simply. Verse 19, works of the flesh, all sexual things. First thing that's got to go is immoral, immorality. And that, take that, and you can take it any way. It says uh, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, all sexual things. Perverted things, uh, sexual affairs, online affairs, pornography, you know, weird, anything weird, anything, anything not holy and confined within a marriage covenant between a husband and a wife, a man and a woman. So all those things can't happen anymore. Do those things happen in the church? Yeah. But here's the thing. If you're fighting it, praise God. If you're allowing it to happen, shame on us. We need to be fighting it. Fight it. We're not called to be like the world. We're called to be separate, different from the world. And God will give us the strength to do that. And like last week I said, you know, one of the things with the pioneer spirit, you've got to do things like maybe for the first time. There are some of you here today, maybe for the first time in your family, you're really going to be a godly person. You're going to do things with a godly uh, attitude and a godly perspective. You're going to get married. You're going to get God's blessing. You're going to start coming to church. You, you, you're going to stop sexual immorality, whatever. And you're going to do things the way God wants you to do things. That's the pioneer spirit. But as a Christian, that's what we're called to do. And sex is rampant in our land. Perversion is rampant in our land. Now this whole thing with uh, pedophilia, is, it's got the news and uh, uh, um, sex trafficking's in the news. These are like, these are terrible things things that are happening in our culture. But God, God is calling us out of that, out of the works of the flesh. So if they come into the church, we deal with it. And we help people get over it and overcome. We can't settle for what's happening and make it part of the church. That would never work. Verse 20, we, we have different, uh, different, um, uh, Different views of, of gods, let's say, idolatry, sorcery, heresies. We have new age and white magic and all these weird things, humanism, uh, witchcraft. Uh, and sometimes those things try to come into the church. We could never allow that to come into the church. My God, our God doesn't need any help from anybody else. Our God is powerful alone. He doesn't need someone doing witchcraft to make him better or something. And all this new age stuff that's so acceptable. And, and Stacy was talking about the spirit of witchcraft behind some of these organizations. Say, you do some research. It's crazy what's out there. And you wonder why there's so much darkness in our country now. Some of these prominent organizations are based in witchcraft. And so we need to stand against that. Then verses 19 and 20, 21, the whole anger uh, ang- anger issues where it says outburst and hatred and uh, dissensions, murders, envy not to mention drunkenness and revelries and stuff like that but those are all works of the flesh so when you come to Christ all that stuff has got to be worked on we can't settle for that oh that's just the way that I am no, that's not that's the way you used to be as a new creation in Christ we're more than overcomers we can overcome those things 
So we work on it. We, we strive to do better. But, but instead of that, we live and we, we, give, we produce spiritual fruit, verses 22 and 23. And the spiritual fruit is really nothing other than the personality and traits of Jesus. That's all it is. We, we need to be Christ-like with the love, the joy, peace, etc. And verse 24 says, Those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions. There's an interesting verse right there because we read in other scriptures that Jesus crucified our sins to the cross with him, right? He did that. But now we're called upon to keep ourselves on the cross by an act of our will. As in Colossians 3, put on the new man. You put the new man on. You live for God. You crucify your flesh. He did it, but now you do it in agreement with him. So, all these different things. And uh, so if we, if we want to be ready for the bridegroom, we, we must be at the end of ourselves and, and begin this living, healthy relationship with him, living in the Spirit, displaying the fruits of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The third thing is this. If we want to be ready for the bridegroom that's coming, we must be looking for the blessed hope. Turn with time to Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2, starting at verse number 11. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. Hallelujah. We live in the grace of God. We live in the age of grace. You know, we, we live in mercy. We live in grace. Hallelujah. The grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. And it's not just that he appeared to all men, but in the setting that the grace of God is in operation right now, that is teaching us something. He's teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, like people in the world, we should live soberly. People ask me a lot, where do you see in the Bible that I can't get high? Well, this is one of them right here. Live soberly, live righteously, live godly in this present age. That's what the grace of God is teaching us. The grace of God is not teaching us that we can do whatever we want to do anymore and God will forgive us. The grace of God is teaching us to not do those things, but to live godly and holy before the Lord in this present age. Verse, verse 13, looking for, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. So my, my, my thought for the church is, are you looking for the blessed hope? Are you discerning the times that we're in? Are you sensing the pandemic and the, the racial and social violence on our streets? Are you sensing in the political season that's ugly? Are you, are you discerning that maybe God is doing something in that, in that arena? And are you looking for the blessed hope of Jesus Christ? Well, in conclusion, I, as we prepare for question, I want to go back to 25.6. At midnight, a cry was heard. Behold... The bridegroom cometh. Go out and meet him. Are you born again? Are you bearing good fruit? Is the blessed hope in your view? Are you running after the Lord? Every head bowed for just a moment before we get ready for communion. Those of you at home, 
Let's just take a minute, get quiet before the Lord if you can. And I want to raise this question. And uh, you don't even have to respond to me. This is between you and the Lord. But I want to ask this question. Are you born again? Are you really, or whatever you want to call it. Have you come to the end of yourself where you recognize my way, my thoughts, my style, my, my whole package of who I am is not good enough? Have you come to that place? And are you still at that place where you've, you have made Jesus Christ your Lord and your Savior? Or have you come to this place and you recognize you want to make Jesus your Lord and Savior right now? We're going to pray for that in just a minute. Have you come to a place in your life where you look back on your life and your lifestyle and the legacy that you leave behind? Are you seeing that you're leaving behind good spiritual fruit? Or will people recognize you by the works of the flesh that you've done with either sexual immorality or anger issues or or drunkenness or some weird religion that you may be involved with? How do people see you? And are you ready to begin to bear good fruit in your life for the Lord? And thirdly, are you able to discern that God is moving in these days? God is moving at this time in history. Are you ready should the bridegroom come? Father God, in the name of Jesus, we all come before you, Lord, and we... We come before you with a repentant heart, Lord. We're sorry for sins and we're sorry for, for lapses in our spiritual lives. But Lord, we come before you and maybe for the first time or maybe for the 100th time, we accept you, Lord Jesus, into our life as our personal Lord and Savior because we have truly come to the end of ourselves. We can't do it anymore based on who we are. We accept you, Lord, as our personal Lord and Savior. And we ask you, Lord, in this relationship that we have with you, may we begin to bear really good fruit, spiritual fruit for the kingdom of God. Let it be evidenced in how we live, how we talk, how we relate, what we get involved with, what we stay away from. Let our witness go before us. Let people know that we're a child of the King of Kings. And Father, I pray and we pray as a family of God right now, Lord, that we would be ready looking for the blessed hope, looking for that return, looking for that voice that would say, I'm coming now, I'm coming now. So, Father, we pray that we would live in the state of expectancy, that we would do our part every day to seek your face and, and, and confess sins and live a holy life before you. And, Lord, we pray that as we wait for you, that you'll do great things through your church, through our lives, to our families and to our friends. So we thank you, Lord, and we give you praise for giving us time before it's too late to get right with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. (laughs) When Paul was teaching on (laughs) the Lord's Supper, uh, he said, he said, "When when you do the Lord's Supper, you proclaim his death until he comes. So I thought it would be appropriate today to conclude the the service by having communion together. Remembering that we're to do this until he comes. There will come a day when we'll be at the marriage supper of the Lamb. And we won't be doing this anymore. 
But in the meantime, this is what we do. So, does everyone have your little packet? If you need one, raise your hand. A couple over here. Just wave your hand if you need it. And uh, you could take off the, the top piece where the, where the bread is. But the blood of Jesus. Hallelujah. If you're watching by live stream, please get your elements together. Get a piece of bread or a cracker and something to drink. Uh, also on live stream, we realized that the audio was not available for you, but we're singing the chorus, nothing but the blood of Jesus. At that last supper, Jesus took bread and broke it, gave it to his disciples and said, take and eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. As often as you do it, do it in remembrance of me. Dear Father, Lord, we want to thank you today for the sacrifice of Jesus that gave his life on Calvary, gave his body willingly as a sacrifice so that we would not have to be punished and die like that. We accept you, Lord. We partake of the bread as symbolic of your broken body that brings healing and strength to our soul and spirit. So thank you, Lord, for your obedience. In Jesus' name we pray. Let's partake of the bread together.
Church, can we stand together? Just be careful with your cup there. After the supper, Jesus took the cup and blessed it and gave it to his disciples and said, take and drink, all of you. This is the cup of the new covenant in which there is remission of sins. Paul says, as often as you do it, do it in remembrance of him. So, Father God, Lord, in the name of Jesus, we hold in our hands this emblem, this symbolic cup containing your blood. Lord, right now, I just want to pray for other parts of the world that have never heard the gospel. They don't know this. We pray, Lord, for our missionaries. We pray for Christian workers all over the world that are sharing this gospel message that Jesus came to save sinners. He's coming back for his church. But Lord, thank you for your blood. Thank you that we have access to the message. Thank you that we can apply the blood to our lives, cover our sin, and be prepared for when the bridegroom cometh. So Lord, thank you for your act of, of, of obedience, your suffering, the crown of thorns on your head, the spear in your side, the nails in your hands and your feet, the whipping, the beating you took, being sped upon and ridiculed and mocked, whipped unmercifully. Thank you, Lord, for taking all of that so that we could be set free. Lord, in this moment of consecration, I pray, Lord, for the church, and I pray for myself and my family, Lord, that in these days that you give us, we would use these days, these, this holy pause that we're in, to totally rethink our walk with you. Let us remember Calvary. Let us remember the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came. Let us remember our forefathers that died for the faith that we so easily have. Let us arise, O God. Let us arise to be an army of God in these days. Certainly the world and our country needs your church to rise up. So, Lord, we thank you for your blood. We partake now as a, as a show of acceptance and a show of unity with your spirit that we are one with you. In Christ's name, let's partake of the cup together. Amen. And amen. At midnight, a cry was heard. The bridegroom cometh. Go out and meet him. I'll leave you with those words today. Maybe today. Maybe tomorrow. Maybe 10 years from now. Maybe 25 years from now. We don't know. Just be ready. Be ready. Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for this service, which was special today. Thank you for our children ministering. Thank you for the worship and the prayers and the offering and all that was going on. But thank you, Lord, for your word today. Father God, in the name of Jesus, may we leave here encouraged. For those at home, Lord, may everyone be encouraged today that it's not too late to get it straightened out. We pray, Lord, that right now things are straightened out and we will walk under your covering, under your blood covering, under the, the anointing of your spirit, and we will be a good witness for you until you come back for us. So we thank you. We give you praise. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen and amen. Hallelujah.